he's going to be as good as he can be on this team this year. I don't think he would be as good for anybody else. Now, what mm -hmm. that is, I don't know. But this will be the best Albert Pujols will be able to see because he's not going to get booed if things don't go well. They're going to say, oh, rats, maybe next time, you know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 10th season of the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Also, now you can find me in the podcast on STL Pinch Hits, as well as in the pages of the Post-Dispatch and on the web pages of stltoday.com. Basically, just a lot of places you can click or flip or eventually recycle. This is the first episode. We've been delayed a little bit because of the demands of spring training, but because it's the first episode, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Hall of Fame baseball writer, St. Louis Post Dispatch base rider, base rider extraordinaire, baseball writer extraordinaire. How do I say this? You've got so many titles. We'll just stick with Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer Rick Hummel. Rick, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. We are on the brink of the regular season, and is it safe to say when you got to Jupiter, Florida? that you expected Albert Pujols to leave as the Cardinals designated here? You had that one nailed, right? I did not. Uh, I thought, and maybe they thought too, that Juan Yepes would be good enough and perhaps Newt Bar would be good enough to share that designated hitter role, Newt Bar against right-handers, Yepes against left-handers. And as it turns out, neither one of them is good enough to be, uh, be that. Newt Bar is going to be a fourth outfielder and maybe an occasional DH. So they signed Corey Dickerson to be the hitter DH against right-handed pitching. They're still thinking Yepes could do it against left-handers. And then he didn't. And then, and now again, spring training was so so much shortened. If, if Yepes had had another 10 days or so, maybe he would have been good enough. But they, they couldn't didn't wait any longer. And they also found him wanting at first base. So their, their plan of playing him and having Goldschmidt DH sometimes wasn't going to work because Yepes mm -hmm. couldn't play the bag. Uh, now they have a guy who can play the bag, and Albert Pujols, and do a few other things too if he can f find some blasts from the past. But I did not see that coming. But maybe when they soured on Yepes, that should have been in the back of my mind. Maybe that, that maybe he's still out there. You know, maybe they can make a deal of some sort. Do you do you like the nostalgia of it? First, I'll ask you that. Do you like the the storyline of the? slugger coming home for one last lap around the ballpark I think or one last run that's how he pulled it put it he said this is my last run so he and Yadier Molina have both said they're going to retire at the end of the season do you like the story of that first and foremost do you, do you, does it does it you know the writer in you are you thrilled to write that oh how can you not like it I mean uh, now can he play to the level and we're not going to see Albert Pujols of 2011 here, okay, or any of the other 2000s after 2011, uh, but I should say before 2011, yeah. but uh, um, yeah, they'll make that two and a half million back in the first couple home stands. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, the money's not the issue, and they got to use him right, though, because his, his average against right-handed pitching last year in a significant number of bats was horrible, mm -hmm. and it was excellent especially power-wise against left-handed pitching. He had 13 home runs, I think 136 at-bats um, um, with, the, with the Dodgers, and most of them were against left-handed pitching, so that's, that's a pretty significant thing. Now, Bush Stadium's a little bigger than Dodger Stadium for mm -hmm. home runs, maybe a lot bigger. 
and we don't know how that's going to play. Um, I think the fans will will give Albert as much invigoration as they can and as much as, as, as he can pr probably stand. But then it's, it's going to be on him. Can he – I don't even know what the numbers are. He, he's, he can't be an out, uh, and nobody wants to see him fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to see him fail. I, if, he's, if he can't do it, I think he's going to have to retire in the middle of the season. I don't want to see him get released. Good Lord, that, that cannot happen. You had uh, you had a chance to talk with him, and there were a lot of laughs emanating from where you guys were, were seated. Do you get the sense of that he's relieved he's back, that he's thrilled he's back, that he's emotional he's back? Did you, I mean, he really sought – some of why the Cardinals signed is because he sought this opportunity, a chance to come back to St. Louis and close his career there. That's something that – he maybe dreamed a little bit about coming out of 2019. Then it didn't happen when the Angels DFA'd him, and then he came back with the Dodgers. And he kind of was like, you know, this is the this is the place to go from. This is, I think, you know, he said it even that this is the last jersey he wants to wear. Did you get that sense? Like, what emotional sense did you get from him? And do you think that will drive him? Yeah, all the words you use: relieved, thrilled, uh, anything you can put in there. He he loves it here. It's it's as if he never left the clubhouse he's still dressing next to Molina as he did for I guess about eight years worth the mm -hmm. first time around um, Molina may have the you know the, the corner locker now Albert's sort of in the middle there but that's okay um, Albert never had the corner locker in the first place yeah, I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, it wasn't Felipe Lopez who had a corner locker <laughs> <laughs> um, that's another story anyway uh, I think he's he's going to be as good as he can be on this team this year. I don't think he would be as good for anybody else. Now, what mm -hmm. that is, I don't know. But this will be the best Albert Pools will be able to see because he's not going to get booed if things don't go well. They're going to say, oh, rats, maybe next time, you know. And, and that's, as, that's as harsh as it'll get. Coming into spring, I think if we were to kind of say what do the Cardinals need, we probably would have both said, pitching or pitching depth or someone to emerge as some reliable pitcher in some way, whether that was a middle relief swingman or as it turned out in a fifth starter. And yet during the course of spring, the most notable additions, as you said, were a left-handed hitting designated hitter and a right-handed hitting designated hitter. Um, Corey Dickerson can play the outfield. Albert Pujols can play the first base, but doesn't that still leave them wanting in the pitching department, which is really what is going to determine whether they can win a division yeah if you consider Jack Flaherty your top pitcher Alex Reyes is certainly in your top six or seven so you don't have two of your top six or seven pitchers on a staff that was I don't think great to begin with but all right yeah. it's all right but you got you know the the presumptive staff leader is 40 years old the next two guys or two of the next three guys have started about what four or five games collectively in the last year in in Michaelis and Hudson and in Michaelis case it's two years mm -hmm. and you have Stephen Matz who has been very good for the most part here but he hasn't always been very good in his career he's been up and down uh, he pretty good last year with the Mets I mean with the, with the Blue Jays excuse me and some other years with the Mets hurt not as good was good, you know, not consistent. Maybe this is the, the guy that will, will turn it around and, and change the complexion of that staff because they haven't had a left-handed pitcher be a dominant 
force since Jaime Garcia was was that person. Jaime Garcia was that person for a mm-hmm. long time. He, he frustrated yeah. people because he'd get hurt a lot and have strange injury. He had every surgery imaginable, but he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, and he. Yeah, I mean, he was for a long stretch quite consistent and good for them, and, and you know, and also maybe ahead of his time because like he wasn't the guy who was going to go to the ninth inning, you know, or the eighth inning, um, like you know, like you kind of expect from a starter, and that's not what we're going to see from this group either. I mean, it might be Wainwright and Michaelis that go seventh and eighth, but you're not going to see a whole lot of those from uh, Hudson. You know, if Matts can crank out the quality starts, they'll be thrilled with that. You know, the bulk innings are going to come from the other two guys. Um, who did you pick to win the division? I picked the Cardinals because I don't like the Brewers lineup at all. Mm. And I don't think they're a very good defensive team. They're very good at a couple of positions. Second base is very good. Shortstop's a good defender. Yelich, wherever he plays, is a good defender. But uh, they have some other defenders that are not as good at some key positions. And their offense is bordering on dreadful. And they lost their only power source from last year. And Abaseo Garcia went to the Marlins. Mm-hmm. So Yelich is going to crank up another year like he had the first couple of years he was in Milwaukee or the early part of his career there. I don't see them scoring a whole lot of runs. Even the great Daniel Vogelbach is with Pittsburgh now. <laughs> we're going to do with him first, you know. Uh, so I picked the Cardinals. I, I, don't, I wonder about some of those pitchers the Brewers have what the stress of last season and, and the innings they're expected yeah. to throw again this year will do to them. You know, I mean, they've all, I mean, they've never really been 200 inning guys. And even Corbin Burns pitched 160 some innings last year. He just barely qualified for the ERA title. Uh, he was good. And so was Woodruff. And Peralta was, was good for the most part. And they've got three, a couple of other guys. Plus, if, if Devin Williams is back in the bullpen to go with Hader, that's, that's a tough one, too, to run up against there. But I still think the Cardinals have the better club. You know, if these guys can keep the ball in the ballpark, somebody's going to catch it. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think the Brewers pitching has the potential to be far better. Obviously, proved it last year than the Cardinals. But the Cardinals have the potential to have more consistent pitching through the course of a season um, without, like, peaks and valleys. There, there's some element that, like, you wonder if – the Brewers are teetering a little bit. Like, you know, one guy doesn't put together the same season he had, and all of a sudden they're scrambling in the same way that the Cardinals did last season. And really, to be candid, the way the Cardinals are right now, they just are going to throw numbers at that. Um, the I picked the Cardinals to win mainly because of the pitching numbers, um, meaning the number of bodies that they could call on to pitch and the offense and, and the fact that they can win a lot of low-scoring games because of their defense. Um, but I should have taken into account is how creative the front office has been with the Brewers. They have really been aggressive when they find a need and they move it. So, or they move to address it like they did with shortstop. And I imagine they'll try to do the same if they need one or see one in May for pitching. That leads me to the question that are the Cardinals a good team coming into the season? Or are they just a good team for the National League Central? Oh, they're a good team because... I'm going to look at this from a backwards approach here. They're one of the few teams in the league, maybe the only team that does not beat itself. You can beat the Cardinals because you might be better than them. You might, their hitters might hit your pitching. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to give you a game in the field. They will not give you anything in the field. They'll win games in the field, but maybe a dozen. I don't know what the number is. But they're not going to lose any in the mm-hmm. field that they, unless some, some catastrophic occurrence 
happens where, where some of the top defenders are not in the game, you know, for whatever reason. If their eight guys are in the field, they will not give them anything, the other team anything. You have to beat them. Not, and you can on a certain day. If the pitching's not good enough, you, you can beat them, sure. So that's why I think they're the, they're the best team. Even the, the good team is in the league. I mean, the Dodgers, they're, they're not a great defensive team at all positions. They can beat themselves. Mm-hmm. The Brewers can beat themselves. Uh, some of the other teams will beat themselves. <laughs> the Mets are already busy beating themselves. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Braves are, are a good defensive team, but they got a couple holes too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the things you got to worry about are the Reds, Pirates, Cubs, Brewers. And I don't really worry about the Reds and Pirates and not too much about the Cubs right now. I think the Brewers and Cardinals are clearly the class of the division, and I think they'll both be in the playoffs. There's going to be so many wins for those two teams to get. I mean, you just look across the division, and it's hard to say, like, when are the Pirates going to be competitive? What games will they be competitive in? And, you know, the, the Reds, how are they going to win? How are they going to win a series? I, I'm, I'm, I guess, you know, some of their young players – overperform or you know you get Hunter Green maybe coming out lights out and he can do that he has that ability but there are times where you look through those rosters and go well how are they going to win I might see how they win a game but how do they win series I just I don't know I don't see that happy and the Reds fan base can't be happy with what's what's happened their team was good enough to make the playoffs as everybody else was a couple years ago but the Reds were okay mm-hmm they took a run at it last year, and they weren't quite good enough. They just they wore down in the last month. Um, their best player had the, one of the best years of his life in Votto. I can't see that happening again where he's 37, 38, putting those numbers up like, as he did without the same kind of protection in the lineup that he used to have with Winker and Castellanos and those guys. Yeah. Um, Suarez, even though he had an awful average, could hit home runs and was, a, was a, I think, a good player. Um, so... I don't think that the, you know, the wins are going to be easy. That you should have 19 games. If you're good enough, you ought to win 12 or 13 from those teams. Now, given what we saw last year, if Satsugo and Vogelbach are hitting back-to-back for the Pirates, well, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, against the Cardinals. Yeah, against yeah, yeah. the Cardinals. They, they can win games. We have yeah, already yeah. seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, uh, what are some of the things that stood out from spring training? What, what, what are, what's a, a performance that stood out to you? Two or three. Um, Palante, who doesn't look like Andre Palante would look like, by the way. When you see him, you'd think, well, he doesn't look like Andre Palante. You, you know, just, I have a, a mind's eye what he was going to look like, and I wasn't in at all. <laughs> um, and he stood out. Uh, I thought the young pitcher Thomas stood out, Connor Thomas. Mm-hmm. And um, from a position player standpoint, I like the way Sosa played. I mean, DeYoung was very good this spring, but Sosa was was good enough to have won a job as a shortstop on some teams, I think. He, he didn't back off at all. He played well and, and hit some, and, and uh, he's going to be a good utility player. And I, I'm surprised he didn't play more positions this spring. I wonder what that was about. I didn't see him play second. I didn't see him play third. You know, that's positions he's going to be playing. I saw him play third. Do you think he won the job at second base? No. I do not. I mean, Edmund's still a quality fielder. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sosa's not a great defender in any of those positions I named. He's pretty good at shortstop, I guess, but mm-hmm. I go back to that playoff game last year, and it's like he this one was overmatched right. a little bit. Um, but he's good enough to play against a couple times a week, I would think. Um, and it's, he's, he's a nice piece to have. 
he was impressive this spring. Um, I thought I thought Kasner handled himself well. I think he's getting better. Where a year from now, we just can't award the catching job to Yvonne Herrera. Right. Kisner will be a legitimate contender for that job, and he, and he yeah. thinks it, it, it's his to lose when he gets there. You know, he, he's well have played here four years at that point. Yeah. Parts of four years. Um, offensively, uh, I, I don't think any anybody really surprised me. I mean, Dickerson is he's a pretty good hitter and. Uh, He'll, he'll help him a little bit. I don't want to see him too much in the field, I don't think, because he doesn't throw very well. He's a gold glover. I know that. But he's he's a left fielder where they don't mm-hmm. need a left fielder. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He played in right field a couple of times this spring, and they, 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 he, the infielder had to go out quite a ways yeah, to get yeah, the throw yeah, here. Uh, yeah. So he's going to be all right. But I, I think the young – I thought Gorman would be – I'm surprised Gorman was not better. I guess is maybe my biggest surprise. Yep, as I hadn't seen before, so I didn't have any basis with him. And he was getting better as the spring ended. Gorman didn't do anything. He was he came to bat 16 times. He had two hits, seven strikeouts, and no walks. And I know when he got here, he thought he had a real good shot at staying. And, and so did he. he might have been the left-handed DH. I mean, they, people, yeah. they, they, they didn't want to... Typecast him as that in the off season, but it could have been it could have been him and it him. was there for him, yeah. It could have been, uh, and he didn't look like he was real comfortable at second base either. Nor were they real comfortable with him at second base. What did you make of Paul Goldschmidt finishing the spring with a 500 average and more home runs four than strikeouts three? Well, given that his history of of April's is not very good, you know, he's a, he was the second half player last year, the first half of the season last year. He was all right, mm-hmm. but the second half he was one of the best hitters in the league, and that seems unusual for a guy in his mid thirties to be that kind of player, you know. But his April's historically have not been spectacular, and now here we are coming into April. Now we're already in April, but uh, I have to believe some of that carries over. And you made a good point about this, talking to the manager. It wasn't like they weren't they were facing second rate pitching. Most yeah. of the spring, but the, the the teams they play, which is Houston, Washington, the Mets, and Miami, in the 14 games they played, they saw Verlander twice, they saw Scherzer and Degrom in the same game, they saw Rogers of of um, Miami twice, mm-hmm. they saw Alcantara in a B game. They ran some guys back there to That's face right. him, and he shot, he shot him out for five innings. Um, and the only and Lazardo, Lazardo of Miami, the only guys that they. I mean, Washington doesn't have. I mean, they piled up most of their runs this spring in one game against Washington. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they they faced pitchers that were a lot better historically than the ones they're going to be facing in the next couple weeks until you get to Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. That, that's an interesting part of how the season kind of lays out. Where do you think the lineup leaves Jupiter? Are you? Do you like how the lineup looks? Dylan Carlson taking over a leadoff, um, a DH now in play, so they have the wraparound leadoffs. Do you like with Tommy Edmond batting ninth after spending all of last season, most of last season at leadoff and finishing second in doubles and near the top in stolen bases? Um, do you do you like the look of this lineup? I'd like it better if Edmond show he could get on base more often, but he was getting on base far less often. He didn't deserve to hit leadoff off what he did this spring. I don't care what it looked like on the backfields. Yeah. He hit under 100, you know, and that's not good enough. 
Uh, and Carlson is, I think, a, a good choice up there. I would like to see him run more. He's, he looks like a reasonably fast runner, but he seems to have little or no base running expertise, mm -hmm. base stealing expertise. Base running expertise, he's a good base runner, but, but he's not a good base stealer. Yeah. And we've already dis discovered that Goldsmith doesn't seem to mind somebody running in front of him. Edmund had 30-some steals last year, and, and Goldsmith was either hitting second or third, mostly second all season long. So Edmund was on. Was Some guys, some great hitters don't want guys yeah. running out of the corner of their eye. They'd see him and they'd get, they'd get distracted from the pitch, but that doesn't seem to bother Goldsmith any. So I'd like to see Carlson steal more. Uh, I, I do like Carlson being able to do a little bit more damage. And Edmund, you know, for his part, I thought he could do it because he could get doubles. He had 41, second in doubles, second in steals. That's 71 times he made it to second base when he got on base. Considering how many times he was on base, that's one of the best records in the league. Right, right. So, but he didn't deserve it to hit first. Do you, do you like the speed then, Bader, Edmund? Do you think they can do something with that? Or are we seeing, I mean, since the National League style of baseball is kind of over now, I'll miss it. Um, but it seems like it's had a Viking funeral already. Um, do, you, do you like what speed does at the end? Or, I mean, you know, Bader, I mean, he could hit 20 home runs from that eighth spot now because he's going to see more pitches. Um, they're not, you know, they're, they're not going to, he's not going to have as many walks probably. Um, does that give them a dimension, or is it is it not as deep as they hope? Well, I think it's deep. I, I thought there'd be some way that Bader and Edmund would combine Bader's speed and Edmund's ability to hit the ball, like a hit and run or something. And and the manager looked like me. I had three eyes or something. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the hit and run is not a big part of his playbook there. No. <laughs> but Edmund would steal down there. But uh, Bader and Bader is not. A great base stealer either. He, he's, he's, a, he's he can run fast, mm -hmm. but he hasn't mastered that that technique probably to be. A, he pops up like Peter Borges, twenty five mm -hmm. or thirty guy. Mm -hmm. So, whatever Peter Borges actually got on base, but uh, right. Uh, and uh, um, so I guess Bader will just be what he was before. Capable of hitting fifteen or twenty home runs down there, and then Edmund starts another lineup. I don't think Edmund and Bader are in the same conversation as far as what they do down there. Is what I've determined. Bader's a still going to be an RBI guy, and, and now Edmund's back as, as your second leadoff guy. And they don't tie in much together. Yeah, that, it is interesting. Like, I mean, they both score from first on a double, um, but it's not like all of a sudden you have, like, the chance for a wraparound. I mean, I guess the, ideally what they want is a little bit of what Tony La Russa achieved by batting the pitcher eighth, right, is this notion that you then add another leadoff hitter to be in front of Paul Goldschmidt. So the first time out, he bats second, but every other time after that, it's effectively like he's batting third, which which makes sense, and then that could work. Um, it's not the biggest question they they leave camp with when we talk about like numbers or order. So what would you do with the fifth starter? That's that's they're going to leave camp without naming a fifth starter. They're going to leave camp without identifying a fifth starter. Um, one of the candidates for the fifth starter spot, Jake Woodford, suddenly appeared in a game pitching one inning there in the 11th hour. Um, Drew Verhagen is going with the team, not throwing to um, hitters in, in Jupiter. What do you make of it? What would you do with the, with the fifth starter spot? I would give it to Woodford. He started five games in a row in September slash October last year, right in the midst of their 17-game streak. You know, mm -hmm. So he, he was in the rotation and did well. And I don't know why 
he's not in the rotation when there's a spot open for him. Uh, I, I haven't seen Verhagen be better than him. And Woodford was fine last year. He's always been a starting pitcher. And yes, he could help them in the bullpen too, but why not start him? I don't understand that part. You are not a fan of the opener, right? I'm not. Um, especially the one inning opener. If a guy's going to pitch two or three, then I'm, I'm not totally against it. If you're just going to use four guys, let's say, pitching two innings apiece, so I can handle that. Mm -hmm. But I can't handle one guy pitching one and somebody else pitching six. I don't get that. Well, then you would. The, the Cardinals are not real keen on the one inning opener. They are kicking around the notion of a one time through opener, sort of a sense of one time through the order. And that has them dreaming a little bit about what Jordan Hicks could do. The, you mentioned Andre Pallante, the young um, pitcher who, along with Nick Whitgren, Cody Whitley, Ryan Helsley, very prominently, um, those all, are all right-handers. They throw sink. They throw elevation. They got a lot of different looks to them. That frees up Hicks to do something else other than late innings because Gallegos has been so good, too, um, in the ninth inning or whenever they're going to call on him to, to secure a win. But it frees up Hicks to move from the end of the game to the beginning of the game, and they're toying with that idea. Does that capture your imagination at all as not – Hicks as a one-inning opener, but Hicks as a one-time-through opener. It captures my imagination, but I wouldn't do it. I still like Hicks better when the game is on the line. He's used to pitching with the game on the line. The game isn't on the line in the first inning or the second inning. You can maybe make a, a, a trend set out of that. But, mm -hmm. um, but then when you want to have him later, he's not available. I'd like to see him come in like in a tie game. Sixth or seventh, you know, throw that hundred, whatever it is, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, hundred and two, and and turn the game around. Then it would be something. It's a different look um, if they start it that way, and then they can kind of mix and match. But it does, it does seem something like that fits for April with a twenty-eight man roster, and might be a little bit harder to pull off if you downsize to a twenty-six man roster, unless. They, they look at Verhagen and Woodford and say, well, guys, look, you're not going to be the starters, but you're going to handle bulk middle innings, and they get buy-in to that from them because then what you're looking at is you go from super-powered sinker, you can pair that with Verhagen, who has the four-seam and the curve that they want him to throw. So change the hitter's eye level, but not the handedness of the pitcher. So you can see how this is going, um, which brings me to this. Like, what did you make of – Oliver Marmol's first spring training. What stands out to you about the the rookie manager, the manager who will go into the season with three players in his opening day lineup who are older than him, um, who will go into the season as the only manager in his 30s, and yet is, uh, you know, I mean, is another one of these hand-picked, homegrown guys for John Mozeliak in the front office. What did you think of the tone he set and sort of the orchestration of his first spring at the helm? Why, well, like how he dealt with us, he was always available to us before and after games or workouts. He would give you not necessarily the answer you were always expecting, mm -hmm. and, and you and he would be critical of somebody as long as he'd been critical to that person's face ahead of yeah. meeting us. That's and he didn't sugarcoat it then, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm very impressed with that part. Uh, 
we don't see, you know, we don't see the meetings that they have or what they go through in their chalk talks or even some of the stuff way on the backfields and we're doing something else. But uh, I was impressed with his attention to detail and, and Pop Warner's at third base about how they handle runners in spring training. Like every time they got a guy in third base, Pop would send him, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like Paul DeYoung scored out a ball yesterday. Uh, right at the next last game of spring training that he would not have scored on before. Right. The infield grounder, the third baseman. He not only got a good break, but he ran a, a path toward the plate where the third baseman didn't have a, a shot at, at the catcher. You know, mm -hmm. the throw was going to hit him if he threw it, so yeah, he went to the first point. base. And, and Paul DeYoung was ecstatic with how he, he did that. He said, yeah, I feel good about that, you know, because that's, that's not something you, you value Paul DeYoung for is his base running. He's a good, good defender. He's been a remarkable hitter this year, but but they've sent guys from second to home that they wouldn't have sent ordinarily mm -hmm. just to see if they could do it, or a lot of guys from third on ground balls just to see if they could get it that, that good secondary lead there and, and break right away and score. There's, there's runs to be had there. You don't have to hit them all out of the ballpark. You can get <laughs> runs that way because sometimes teams' defenses are on their heels when you do stuff like that to them. They're thinking, well, he's not, not going to go there. Well, they are. Well, I got no play. I got to go to first where there's a run. Yeah, That's what they learned about playing defense with uh, Nolan Arenado, too, is like, you know, Arenado's going to try to get the lead runner no matter what. So the Cardinals had to adjust when they would have somebody cover second. There were times when Arenado last year would come up to throw to second and no one was yeah. there. So they, they adjusted how they do that. Um, I was struck by a couple things. Marmol, like you said, he was blunt with us. At one point in time, talked about how a young player got, quote, unquote, his teeth kicked in. Um, he's, uh, it, you know, just, just here towards the end of camp, he said, is Tommy Edmond having the camp that he or we want? No. Um, and then he explained later that he, has he hasn't said anything to us that the player is hearing for the first time when it appears in the newspaper or on Twitter or something like that. And I, I thought that was, that's, you know, that's a little different than, you know, than a lot of the, 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 you know, positive reinforcement that with public comments that we've had here in recent years where it was, you know, well, he's not doing now, but I, I really believe in him later, you know, and we still got some of that, but there was some, you know, bluntness to what Marmol said. The other one was, and this is classic bluntness, is that, quote, unquote, it's a disappointment if they don't win the World Series. That gave the front office pause, um, a declaration like that. And when the front office's pause was was presented to the manager, he doubled down on it. Like you know, the the front office has for years been very careful not to say that the be all end all goal is the World Series and a World Series championship. Even when you say, "Look, man, it's been 11 years since," and look, it's been since 2013. Hey, the Dodgers are coming. The objects in the rearview mirror look a lot closer than they they appear. Um, you want your brand. You better start winning. You need to get deeper in the postseason. And the front office will equivocate, and the front office will say, "You know, well, it's about getting there." And then it's random and all that stuff. And it's about winning the division. That's what the goal is. Marmol said, "Okay, no, it's about winning the." Ch I was really struck by that. Like he could have. He could have said, "Well, you know, I'm. Uh, it's a, you know, our goal is to win the division and see what happens." But no, he like he said, "No, I'd like to, I'd like to split my pair of tens, and I would like to hit on both again." Well, and that's what the read was that he got from his players too, like Arnado and and guys who actually, you know, don't know what the World Series is about really, but right. to, but he, he likes to win one. Um, and then of course you got Molina and Wainwright who've been in several, and some of the other guys. Uh, 
have been at least in championship series, so um, in 19. So yeah, I like hearing that. Um, you're right, the front office doesn't make that a, a real mantra every year. They, they, <laughs> they, they, they secretly wish they could win the, or get to the World Series every year, but they're, quote, content with being in the playoffs every year, then it is kind of random after that. Yeah. Um, you have, I would say you had only 10 teams, but now you have 12, and God knows you'll have 14 or 16 again some year. <laughs> yeah. And then it'll just be a round robin to start, and we'll just play it all out, um, which is effectively kind of what it is. It's like a 162-game round robin for seeding, right? Isn't that what we're doing? I guess so. Then they had that one proposal where you're going to have a ghost victory, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I, ghost I, I, runners, ghost runners, victories. But the ghost victory was something else. Yeah, yeah didn't, didn't Albert was talking about how chasing numbers is like chasing ghosts. We didn't literally think that there would be ghost wins and well, ghost well, runs. On this one, we didn't even play in the community. We didn't even play. <laughs> and then if, if, if you lose the ghost win, is that a poltergeist loss? <laughs> is that what we're going with? That would mess with your head a little bit, I think. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Well, the, the band is back together. Skip Schumacher is bench coach, and I think, you know, that's something that will, you know, plays into the tone that Marmol set. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Skip's presence here quietly, a lot of people were just thrilled to have him back around. I mean, that was very clear. You know, he was part of the championship team here, big part of several teams here. Of course, three prominent members of this era are back together again in Wainwright, Albert Pujols, and Yadier Molina. And no matter how many times people try to retire Adam Wainwright, he has not said that. He has been pretty. He has been very steadfast in the fact that he doesn't want to retire and unretire and retire and unretire. No matter how many times the front office or the teammates are saying it, um, he said he'll tell his wife first, and he has not told her. They haven't had that discussion. However, Molina and Pujols have said that they're going to retire is that uh, is this team enough for them to go out with a title or is this a flawed team that needs everything to go right or is this a team that can challenge for a championship in the end in the end it can if if Flaherty and Reyes are able to give them mm. some of what they want um in Wainwright's case I, I don't think he really intended to be playing this long but he always lamented the fact that he missed two or three seasons with injuries, and now he's close to 16 wins away from 200, which he won 16 games last year. Now, yeah. that, that number really appeals to him. I didn't, I didn't, I wondered if it did or not, and it appeals to him more than I thought it did. Mm -hmm. And if he would get reasonably close to that this year, he'll come back and play next year as long as he's not hurting the team, you know. But what if, what if he goes 14 and 11 and pitches 180 innings? Well, that's pretty good, mm -hmm. you know. You know and, come back and pitch another year he might come back and like leave a hall of famer right well once you get to 200 wins you're you know you're in the conversation and he'll be on the hall of fame ballot oh, for know, sure. six years after or five years after he's done playing <clears throat> but he's not i don't think he's necessarily going to retire and you touched on, on strumacher a little bit he'll he won't be one of those yes men bench coaches <laughs> no he will he's already been at odds about the, the my manager's boat driving abilities and yeah, yeah. And, and other things <laughs> oh and there are like little subtle things out there in the on the field and everything like that you can see him it, it's really good that that skip is back after being somewhere else that is something that has been missing from the cardinals from in my view is that they have promoted from within promoted from within promoted from within but they are all from the Cardinal bubble. There hasn't been, with the exception of Jeff Albert, the hitting coach who started with the Cardinals, then went to, you know, 
Cardinals 2.0 um, in Houston and whatever was added upon there, you know, to, you know, sort of the, the if the Cardinals were Windows 7, the Astros were Windows 11, and I apologize for the computer uh, analogy, um, but that's what was going on, and then Jeff comes back. I think Skip going out to the Reds, to the Dodgers, and then as a coach with the Padres, I think he's coming back with some perspectives, um, you know, uh, with news from outside the snow globe of how things can be done and will be done and we've heard references to that a little bit is that you know like at one point in time marmol was asked about a new era he said i don't think this is a new era in baseball but we're gonna do some new things around here there's definitely a sense of catching up and skip's gonna play a part in that um so uh I started on the beat in 04 around the same time Yadier Molina started on the team. Um, I have told him that he's trying to outlast me uh, um, around here. Um, I, has been, I have been encouraged to retire along with these players. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Um, but I know, that, uh, I know that's a question that you'll face as well. Are you on a last tour here is this is this you know yeah have you said no more after Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols I'm 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 going off into the sunset at the same time they are I'm not going to cover a Cardinals team that doesn't have Yadier Molina in it darn it or what are your plans or orange or orange my plan is to to cover on a full-time basis this year and hopefully if the powers that be at the Post-Dispatch and Lee Enterprises agree, and, and so far I have heard nothing negative about this thought, is to work on a part-time basis where I'd still be involved in some game coverage, hopefully still in spring training, but not you know, doing all the dirty work day by day that you, you have to do now, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and you have to do it personally. And, uh, and uh, so, yes, as a full-time baseball writer, this is my 50th year of covering games. Mm-hmm and 51st at the newspaper, but I, would, I do want to be, remain involved, and I hope that, that, that you would have a place for me to do some work, too. I can help out whatever you want me to do. You can write game stories all the way. People, people are clamoring for less gamers by me, more by Rick Hummel, so you can write game stories. But I, I'd like to you know, make it easier on myself a little bit at, at my age to, to not have to go through the, the daily grind of it all and, and kind of pick my spots a little bit. But you, you demanded at least another year of working with me, right? That, 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 was, that was contingent, right? It wasn't about the All-Star game in Los Angeles or any of the other stuff going on. It was, I, I need one more year so that Derek can learn how to do this and <laughs> I'm ready to go. Derek knows how to do it. You know that. <laughs> but I enjoy, I love working with you. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm very excited that we get to start another season together. I've lost track of how many seasons. Someone can quickly do the math of how many seasons we've done together. I think this is the 18th or 19th season. Um, but it's it might be the 18th or 19th season that we're doing together where I'm sa- seated right beside you at the right hand, just as I was at the old ballpark, just as I am at the new ballpark. But it is we're going on 30 plus seasons that I have learned from you. So thank you very much for all that you've taught me about baseball riding and for uh, being a guest here on this podcast, but most of all for being a friend um, and you keep me sane. And I have no idea what I would do if you don't stick around and do part-time stuff because there, it is entirely likely I would spin off the planet. I might. Well, first of all, thank you very much. That was very, that was very nice of you to say that. Uh, 
I don't think I would like to be not involved either. I would, I'm not sure what I would do. But uh, You'd worry about me? me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd have to be on retainer, you know. He'd <laughs> be, be tired of me calling you. <laughs> Rick, thank you very much. That's Rick Hummel, Hall of Fame baseball writer, joining here me here on the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. You can find all of his coverage in the pages of the Post-Dispatch on the web at stltoday.com and our new venture stl pinch hits that's a new subscription-based app and website what you get there is all of the cardinals coverage that you've come to expect plus more we're expanding our coverage to minor leagues we've hired a minor league beat writer and daniel guerrero plus Rick Hummel has some things planned that are exclusive to pinch hits, including ranking the top 50 prospects, right, that you've 51, seen? 51, 51 years oh, at the paper. Okay, so 51, top 51 prospects he's seen for 51 years at the paper. Um, I aimed a little lower and just did the top 12 prospects right now um, for the team. So you can find all that stuff at STL Pinch Hits. That's STL Pinch Hits. Rick, another season. Here we go. Uh, how, do we, how do we start this thing? Well, we start Thursday with the... Pittsburgh's and then Kansas City for two, then 156 more after that. Happy New Year, Rick. Thank you, sir.